Welcome to the Equality Conversation podcast with me, Joy Burnford. This show explores what we can all do to be an ally and champion gender equality at work. Achieving gender balance in the workplace isn't about fixing the women. It's about changing the system to ensure that everyone can reach their full potential. So if you're looking for insights, guidance or advice on how to improve gender equality in your organisation, grab a cuppa, go for a walk or escape for a while and join us for today's conversation. This podcast is brought to you by Encompass Equality. We're the leading provider of practical solutions to advancing gender equality in the workplace and partner with organisations to support the attraction, retention and progression of women. We do this through research and consulting, leadership development programmes, talks and workshops and one-to-one and group coaching. To find out more and to download free tools and frameworks from the number one best-selling book, Don't Fix Women, visit EncompassEquality.com. I'm absolutely delighted to welcome Farah Ghulam Hussein as my guest today. Farah is the founder of Coaching on Purpose and works with us at Encompass Equality on our coaching programs. She's coached me personally, so I know what great insights she has. Farah joins me today to talk about coaching, finding your purpose, and how coaching can support greater gender equality in organisations. Hello, Farah, and welcome to the Equality Conversation. Hello, everyone. Thank you, Joy. It's a pleasure to be here. So lovely to be chatting to you today. So let's just start, if you could tell our listeners a little bit about your background, becoming a coach and why you founded Coaching on Purpose. So my parents are actually immigrants from East Africa. They came over to England to give um, themselves and their family a better life. So I grew up in a corner shop that they bought in Maidenhead, where we were the only brown people. And my parents really sacrificed everything for my sister and I to have what they deemed to be a good education. So I really grew up in that corner shop watching my parents work extremely hard serving the local community. So when I got my first job after university, I had a bunch of A's, really good academic qualifications to my name. And when I got my first graduate role in a big four professional services organization, it was as if my whole family had got that job. And over the kind of 15 years that I then worked at that professional services firm. I went from dark windowless rooms, being an auditor in the banking sector, and then becoming an M&A consultant, working on integrating businesses together across the world. And then I moved into HR as a director specializing in performance and talent. And now I feel I live a really light-filled life. And the work I do is I'm a purpose coach, an inclusion advisor, and also a workplace mediator. So there's something when we when we talk about coaching within you know the work we do there's sometimes a bit of ambiguity about what coaching actually is compared to things like mentoring and sponsorship and i just wondered if we could start with just perhaps exploring a little bit you know what the differences are and how coaching specifically can help individuals both in their personal lives and also in their professional lives exactly so let's think of these concepts on a continuum and on one end you have a witness so someone who's witnessing another person And on the other end is a dictator, someone telling the other person exactly what to do. So in its purest form, coaching is nearer to the witnessing end. 
And it's really you as a coach creating the conditions for the person in front of you to do their very best thinking. You don't influence or bring your own experiences into their space. Instead, you leave your own thoughts, interpretations, perceptions at the door, and you focus on your quality of presence, creating psychological safety and really excellent listening to enable that person to think, feel, and experiment in their own way. So mentoring is then further towards the dictator side, but obviously not there. And that's when we download our own experiences and judgments on what a person should or could do in any situation that they're facing or goal that they're working towards. And then sponsorship is something different again. It can be championing, connecting, or elevating a person by sharing your own political power or status in an organization. And that can take many forms, connecting people, opening opportunities, being an advocate, etc. So I think there you're very right that there is ambiguity around what coaching is. And it's used quite casually in organizations and especially by leaders. I'm coaching my team, I'm coaching my team, but really are you? I'd love to know when part of your conversations you're having with with individuals, you know, what kind of challenges are you finding that employees or people are facing at the moment? And have they changed, you know, over time? And have you sort of seen the trends and changing? You know, when I entered the workplace, as I said, I kind of had a lot of academic qualifications. But what I recognized very quickly is that what I actually needed to do was learn how to kind of operate in the very specific world of business. And that I hadn't learned from my parents watching them in the corner shop or from all of my exams. So I'm an introvert, really quiet as an individual. So I've always been observing. And as soon as I entered the workplace, I was honestly fascinated by how people behaved and treated themselves and one another. Like, you know, I was joking about the windowless audit rooms, but I couldn't believe how people would push themselves physically and emotionally and even spiritually to the limits so easily. I I couldn't do that. So when I qualified as an accountant, I then explored many other roles at KPMG while I was working in L&D, diversity and strategy. What I was searching for is something to help me reconcile or explain something that I felt was so obviously missing from a human perspective in organizations. My search continued, but really led me to a very special time and role in my life, which was when I was appointed to lead work around purpose and values globally in the organization I was working for. So like many organizations, they had a perfectly crafted purpose statement with words that sounded glossy and interesting. But when I was given the task of sharing this with leaders and teams across the globe, people would look at me blankly and say, what has any of this got to do with me? I'm just here to make money. (laughs) So I realized I needed to dig a lot deeper into my subject matter. And so I read um, profusely and learnt, sought out thinkers and researchers from around the world. And I came to realize that you're never going to excite people about a professional purpose statement until first of all, they've had the opportunity to understand their own personal purpose. And so how to go about doing this in a professional context, I didn't know. But the turning point for me was attending an invitational course led by the Authentic Leadership Institute called Purpose to Impact. This body of work rests on the research that at seven years old, we have the strongest connection to our purpose, our why, our essence. 
And it's after that age that education, families and society experiences dilute that clarity and we risk moving away from our true selves. So I learned how through inviting people to share stories about their lives and work and combine this with the professional coaching techniques that I also learned to invite people to excavate that connection to their original selves. And then I think I saw that I actually have a gift of understanding and noticing themes and patterns that emerge and helping then people turn this into an articulation. So their unique purpose statement, their why, something that's timeless. And it's essentially why you were put on this earth. Whether you're in a desert island or at home on a Sunday or in a boardroom, it's you. It's so interesting working with you on my purpose statement. So, you know, for the listeners, I have been having coaching with you and it's been really amazing. And I didn't, I think I came to it thinking I was going to be thinking about purpose in me and my kind of career and my business, but actually going back to that kind of who I was when I was seven and really unpicking that kind of, you know, who I was, why am I like I am today? And, and just really thinking about it. It's been super powerful. I know we're still working on it to try and get to my, me to my, <laughs> crystallize my purpose statement, but it's been a really interesting process and really digging. Uh, I always say when, you know, I, I'm in, I was in tears in one of the sessions and I always say to people, if I think if a coach is really great when, if you're sort of, if you get, you know, if you if the coach gets you into tears because it shows that there's kind of like that, uh, that kind of personal, you know, it's really obviously in tears in a nice way. It wasn't that you made me cry, but uh, it kind of gets you to that. The thing is, Joy, that it can be very scary for people to, enter into an authentic coaching relationship if they haven't been used to being vulnerable, opening up in that way. So, you know, I did explain about what coaching is, but, you know, your, your question then was what kind of challenges are people facing at the moment? So, you know, when I began my work at Coaching on Purpose, there was a focus on more, 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 more success, more money, more power, more of everything. And then um, shortly after I started my business, the pandemic hit, and then there was a focus on survival. So a lot of people were coming to me talking about stress, boundaries, relationships, fear, loss, anger, and injustice. And now what I'm seeing emerging is a real collective humility and understanding of the delicate balance of life, the fragility and importance of well-being, and being ready to ask big questions, who am I? What does success really mean to me now? And what do I truly care about and value? And how is my current situation aligned to that? Absolutely. I think I, that really resonates with me and sort of the conversations I've been having and, and seeing how organisations are moving as well in terms of the themes that are coming up um, within organisations and the challenges, you know, their employees are facing. The coaching is one of the, as you know, one of the three cultural frameworks, along with flexibility and allyship that I recommended my book, Don't Fix Women, as a way of supporting women with the obstacles that they face and also improving gender equality at work. And it can also play a crucial role in, in women's career development and support others in becoming more inclusive leaders. Would you agree with this? And, and could you talk a little bit about that? And also, you know, whether there's any difference that you see between kind of men and women that you coach as well? I would 100% agree with you. That's the first thing. One of the areas I specialize in is parental coaching. Um, so going through the parental journey, myself in a professional services environment, I'm able to understand firsthand what parents working in these contexts face um, before, during and after parental leave. So the ways that coaching can really make a difference are beautifully covered in your book. But at its core, it's around basic human needs being met, i.e. creating a safe space where parents, men and women, 
feel seen, heard, and are able to let go of the masks of having it all together. And also for men and women, being able to explore how I've changed when there has been a major event in their life. And that could be through parenting, through a promotion, through a crisis, through a death, you know, all of those things. So I I think that that's how coaching can be really powerful for leaders. And this is often men having psychologically safe place where they feel they can trust the coach sitting before them is so rare. The loneliness they feel, the fear of being found out, ousted, sidelined is so high for many of them to have, you know, a 90 minute session periodically just to reflect, to be vulnerable, to speak the unspeakable and feel that roller coaster of, of emotions is like heaven for them. And so you talked about crying, but that release can come in also shouting or being silent or sometimes tears. So it's weird when you ask the question about men versus women. Actually, although I thought it would be very different before I became a coach, actually on a very human level, it hasn't been. People just want to feel seen and heard. And it's so rare to just be listened to. I really hope you're enjoying the conversation so far. I want to take a moment to tell you a little bit more about our mission at Encompass Equality. We're passionate about enabling the retention and progression of women in the workplace and sharing our knowledge to help support and inspire others. This podcast forms just a small part of what we do. So if you're struggling to retain senior women, or if you're not sure whether the initiatives you have are working, please do get in touch with us at encompassequality.com. We have a depth of knowledge and research that underpins all the work we do supporting our clients. Why do you think organisations should offer their employees coaching? And what are the what are the benefits you see within organisations? We've talked about sort of individual benefits, but what are the, the benefits to the organisation and how can people measure the success of things like coaching? So in answer to, you know, should they be investing in coaching? You know, I say, does every car need an MOT? You know, do teeth need um, brushing to shine? You know, do you put on makeup without a mirror? No, it's my belief that everyone needs access to a coach. Every business I see now states on their website that people are the most important asset to them. So why wouldn't you look after that asset? Organizations want people to be performing and innovating and adapting all the time. But how can they do this when they're struggling with, say, an inner voice or limiting assumptions or a perspective that's not serving them? So, yes, at the top line, it's measurement by retention, less sick days and more productivity. But at a deeper level, you are building long term resilience, health and capability of your organization. And I think the key issue with organizations is this emphasis on short term seeing a result to the investment. And I would invite organisations to think medium to long term with looking at the results and the benefits of coaching. Absolutely. And when you think about how, you know, thinking just within my space about women and retaining more women and the cost of replacing somebody is so expensive that actually a small investment in coaching, if you think about it like that, is just nothing to enable that person to have that space to talk. Exactly. I have coached hundreds of parents. And at the end, they always say, thank you so much. I just needed to talk this through with someone. 
And I think the other thing about organisations offering that is that a lot of the time people in their home lives, they can't afford it, actually, you know, because actually they've got so many other demands on their income and uh, families and everything else. So actually, this is a really, really nice sort of add on, I think, to organisations to be able to offer that to individuals. And there are different types of coaching interventions, are there? There's sort of one-to-one coaching, which you kind of typically like the kind of things we've been talking about today. There's also group coaching, which we do a lot of, you know, within organisations, bringing together groups of people who are, you know, whether it's resilience or, or, or whatever it might be to actually similar sort of challenges that people are facing. You can do that in a group coaching setting. Coaching by line managers and making sure your line managers are trained up and again, this is something we help line managers with thinking about those coaching conversations. How do you do that really active listening and, and asking the right questions? And then there's peer-to-peer coaching as well. So you, this doesn't involve any kind of, well, I guess it could involve some training, but actually it's you know, looking at how you can sort of make sure that people have buddied up with people and going to get that support from other people within the, the organisation. And actually, we have got a free download on our website looking at the pros and cons of these different types of coaching interventions. But I'd love to know your thoughts on you know, how organisations can decide what will work best for them. You know, how if you were kind of coaching, covering all of those things, you know, how do you sort of decide? Well, what should we do first, and how do you get this culture of coaching, you know, set up and running through the, the organisation? You know, Joy, your book has a great focus on personalisation. So it's my view that no one person and no one context is the same. So in my opinion, being able to offer one-to-one coaching for each person is the gold standard. But if that doesn't feel feasible from a commercial perspective, then I honestly believe that one-to-one offers should be focused on more junior and middle manager levels. Too often I see coaching being focused only at the top level where people, you just spoke about it, you know, they do have more available resources and contacts to be able to self-fund if they wish. But at that lower level, that's where the biggest losses of people are. So offer it there because it can be transformative to them remaining in the organization before their situation becomes untenable professionally or personally, and they feel they have no choice to leave. So ideally, I'd like to see everyone in the organization have access to a coaching provision if they want. Now, Group coaching can be really great in terms of creating a community, sharing wisdom, hearing stories from others, but it can sometimes be challenging because everyone is going through something different and you're relying on the strength of the group to be able to support every single other person, but it can definitely have value. And I think, you know, coaching by line manager, that's also really helpful depending on the level of trust an engagement that that line manager has with the team that they're coaching. So for me, I think one-to-one is a gold standard, but group coaching can be great. And peer coaching, really powerful. Um, you know, A lot of people have good friends and colleagues, but what if you formalize that relationship and say, okay, if we're meeting up for an hour, how about for half an hour, you bring a question and I'll just listen and offer you what you need and then we'll flip to make that a really productive and mutually valuable Kind of coaching relationship, yeah. And I call, I have a number of sort of peer-to-peer mentoring chats with people. So we go for, and I also talk about doing a walk and talk. So we both, you know, we're on the phone, but we go and have a walk together separately. And we do exactly that. We have a kind of half an hour talking about one issue that I'm facing and then the other person talks about their issue. And I have a number of different, and you don't have to just have one. You could just, I'm always reaching out and I meet people who I think there's loads we have in common here and really great connection and we can both help each other. And it's, you know, you can, you know, anybody listening to this can, you know, you can do that today. You can, you know, reach out and, and try and sort something like that out to help yourself. 
There's also another, there's a great book actually just thinking about it by Helen Tupper and Sarah Ellis called You Coach You. So if you're thinking and you're thinking, I can't afford a coach, then actually that's a that's a good book to kind of dip into and, and have a read because it's it's how you can kind of coach yourself and some some, some questions that you can ask yourself, which is, is a good one. We've also, as you know, Farah, we've just produced some new research called Why Women Leave, based on a survey of 4,000 women, which has revealed the significant impact that company culture specifically and things like line management has on the retention of women. So I'd like to talk a little bit about line managers in particular, as they play such a key role in individuals' working life. 82% of women in our survey said that the support they get from their line manager has a huge or significant bearing on their decision to stay or leave. And we've talked a little bit about line managers, but although we don't expect them all to be coaches, you know, all the time, they really do need to see their team members as individuals, as you've said, and their whole selves. And I'd love to just perhaps end with something around sort of maybe some examples of how managers can have these open and honest conversations with employees. And as if you're a line manager listening to this, you know, what can you do to take steps to become a better coach in your sort of day-to-day work? Really interesting stat from your book, Joy, was that, you know, the International Coaching Federation said that only 13% of companies they surveyed had achieved a coaching culture. And so it, it does speak to how hard this is, but we're missing a trick. Let's teach people what coaching actually is. I don't know one line manager who doesn't call themselves the golden three. I am a coach, mentor, and sponsor to my team. It's just not realistic or true. So let's just relieve ourselves of, of that. And we keep telling line managers to listen, but do they know what good listening looks and feels and sounds like? I'll tell you now, it it sounds like being more silent. It sounds like really maintaining confidentiality. It looks like not reacting or interpreting your version of what that person is expressing. It is about stepping back, getting your own thoughts out of the way and seeing the human being in front of you as a whole person with potential and strengths and vulnerabilities, start practicing this and you know, you will create that culture from the inside out. And so some examples about, you know, how you can do that going even further, language, verbal and body language. How many people I speak to when they're speaking with their line manager, they're on their phone, they're checking their emails. Just be in front of that person. Eye contact. Don't fidget ask this, is now a good time for me to offer some observations? May I offer a different perspective? What qualities do you need from me at this moment? What is the big question that you're holding? So not reacting and not trying to fix the problem, looking at the other person and serving them. Number two, contracting. You know, this is something very key in coaching. You have to socially contract with the person sitting in front of you What do you need most from me right now? To listen, to challenge, to reflect back what I'm seeing, to offer a different perspective. Ask them, don't assume. And lastly, what I've been speaking about the whole of our time together, psychological safety, empathy. What does it feel like to be in their shoes? Compassion, care, and high trust spaces. These these are the rarest treasures in organizations. If you can offer even 1% more of this to the person sitting in front of you, it will be like gold dust for them. Some other things to think about is giving air and space to talk about boundaries, especially I find this when I'm coaching parents. So line manager could ask, I invite you to consider what boundaries have been stretched for you this week on a personal and professional level. You know, what goals are you working for towards this week and how can I support you? So those are just some ways. I mean, I could go on about this all all day, but um, the line manager relationship cannot be underestimated. But instead of putting pressure, let's teach and give 
I'm really passionate about this, a point in time guidance. So, you know, I have this great idea. I see chat GPT being used more and more. You know, if that could align to line managers' diaries, you know, be able to look up who they're meeting, you know, what that person's been going through and be able to just show those questions, five key questions to ask in a meeting just before they meet them, that could make a real difference because I believe line managers want to do the right thing. They just don't always know what that is. And I always say, and they're brilliant suggestions. And I always say, if you're really not sure what to say, say, how are you? And actually just, just listen, you know, actually just do that kind of like, just give that space to somebody to be able to, it's a really simple thing, but how often do you say, how are you? You know, really, you know, what's going on for you in your life at the moment? Well, we could carry on talking for ages, Farah. It's been so interesting. And before we finish, I'd love to just hear from you kind of your one top tip that organisations can implement to support women in the workplace, as that's obviously the, the purpose of doing this podcast. Overall, you know, we're, we're all about women in the workplace. So what's your one tip that organisations can, can implement? So your book is called Don't Fix Women. And I would preface that to organisations with, well, don't break them in the first place. And here I refer especially to women of colour and neurodiverse women who often contort themselves dangerously into becoming the templates of success that have been created by the majority. And then it becomes absolutely unbearable for them to stay and excel. So this has been my own personal experience and mirrors many of that of my clients. We need to have more patience, coaching and honesty about the lived experience of women in organisational cultures. Thank you so much, Farah, for joining me on the podcast today. And if anybody's interested in having a conversation with Farah, you can either contact us through Incompany Quality and we can, we can talk to you about the ways that you know we could potentially put you in touch with Farah. And also, Farah, where is the best place for people to find you on, online if they'd like to get in touch? So you can find me on LinkedIn, Farah Ghulam Hussein, and I'm on Instagram as well, Farah Jouani Ghulam Hussein. So I can put that in the show notes, but look forward to connecting. Thank you, Joy. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And that's it for this episode. If you like what you've heard, don't forget you can download the free tools and frameworks from EncompassEquality.com to get started and take action today, wherever you are on your journey. It would also really make my day if you could spend a couple of minutes to rate and review the podcast for others. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on the next episode.